On this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, we are joined by Bob Dolan, who is professional emeritus at Columbia Country Club uh, in the Chevy Chase area of Maryland. Um, and Bob had um, just completed a stellar 28-year run as only the third head professional in the long history of Columbia Country Club, which is really amazing. Uh, club, I think, was founded in 1898. The present golf course was, I think, opened around 1911. And, um, you know, at this course, there's Fred McLeod, Bill Strasbaugh. Those were his two predecessors and Bob Dolan. So that's quite a run. Um, and uh, we talk with Bob about the early part of his career and how he got the position at Columbia Country Club, what it was like to following those big footsteps of his uh, notable predecessors, um, how he approached the position at Columbia, uh, his thoughts on teaching, and how he feels the game today is somewhat overtaught and undercoached, and the importance, in his view, of not being one-dimensional as a head pro, what it was like to um, host several USGA championships in recent years, uh, and his service at the uh, Middle Atlantic PGA section, and uh, with the first tee of Greater Washington, D.C., um, and he had almost every position in the, um, in the section, including president. Uh, and, um, you know, on the national level, uh, you know, we talk a little bit about uh, what it was like to win the 2011 Bill Strasbaugh Award. Pretty neat, given that he succeeded Bill Strasbaugh at Columbia. And um, not surprisingly, he's been elected to both Middle Atlantic PGA Section Hall of Fame, and last year the PGA of America Hall of Fame. We also touch a little bit towards the end on the life of club professionals today and, and how to improve the profession going forward. So all of that and more up next with Bob Dolan of Columbia Country Club. Well, welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy and... We've had a number of um, uh, head pros from some of the most elite courses and clubs in the country on periodically, and uh, I'm so thrilled that uh, we're back in the D.C. area. We had Jason Epstein on at Congressional, and today we're joined by Bob Dolan. Bob, thank you so much for making the time to chat with us today. Well, thank you, Larry. It's a pleasure. Um, so... Just to maybe give folks a little bit of context and to go back to uh, sort of beginning, um, I understand, I think if I have my facts right, you were born in Jackson Heights, um, oldest son of six kids, but you guys moved around a little bit, I think, to Rhode Island and subsequently to Buffalo. And can you talk about how and when you were first introduced to the game of golf? Uh, yeah, well, uh, my dad introduced me to the game, I think, probably about the time we moved to Rhode Island. And, um, you know, for me, moving at the end of the school year, I didn't have many friends when I got to my, when I did get to Rhode Island or Buffalo or Maryland. So uh, we moved after the school season. So uh, golf appealed to me because I could go out by myself and, and uh, pick up a game and and, uh, you know, do my best to learn, learn the great game of golf. Right. And, um, is it right? I thought I saw that you, you, you when you were in Buffalo, did, was there dad's company had a golf course that was right either next to you or near where you lived? Is that right? Yeah. We lived in a development in Ransom Oaks in uh, Buffalo, New York. I think it's called Glen Oaks now, or the golf course is at least, um, and, uh, you know, we live not too far from the course. So, uh, you know, when you live in Buffalo, you learn to play hockey and you play hockey, hockey, hockey. But in between, <laughs> uh, in between, we uh, we got out on a golf course and, and uh, same thing. It was something I could do by myself, a good way to meet new people. And uh, it was comfortable. I, re I really enjoyed going out on that golf course because I could walk out to the 13th hole and start playing. And Oh, and, uh, oh great. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I, I bet. So, and then I guess when you were in high school, at some point you moved down to Montgomery County in Maryland. And I, I know you played on the high school team. Um, 
I'm curious what that was like and whether you played junior golf competitively beyond just the high school team or was it mostly just the school team? You know, I played on a school team one, uh, one year, uh, one year out of the two that I was there. Uh, again, I was, uh, kind of gave up on, on hockey cause in Maryland hockey wasn't much in, in, uh, 1978 when we moved there. Um, we right. just experienced the Buffalo blizzard of 77. So moving right. down to Maryland was like going to, a <laughs> to a Southern state for sure. And, uh, I bet golf uh golf filled in where hockey kind of left off and i played a little baseball but uh I, you know i wasn't a very good player back then i didn't really i wouldn't call myself a standout i did participate uh in a few tournaments here and there but uh not nearly as good as some of these kids that were coming up and, and some of the kids that come up now they're just really really good i never had I wouldn't call myself an outstanding junior or amateur. Um, so I, then I uh, I improved along the way. I guess they call me a late bloomer. <laughs> so I know um, you uh, entered the PGA Apprentice Program in 83. Um, you declared professional status in 82. Um, and um, so you, we're talking about you being in your early 20s. You and I actually are around the same age. I'm curious, um, at what point um, along the way did you decide that you wanted to try to make uh, being a golf pro as a career and kind of what was your thinking, your key factors for you in, in making that decision? Well, when I was 16, I started working at the range, uh, Fernway Driving Range, that was fun. Silver Spring, Maryland. And the head pro there, he got the job at Leisure World. He took me along with him. I did all the running around stuff. I did the outside operations in the driving range for him. And I just enjoyed being around the people. And mm -hmm. and uh, that was really the attraction to me, uh, to be able to hang around in the game you love and, and uh, be around people that love the same game. It was... Uh, to me, it was a good fit. Yeah. And um, you mentioned Leisure World. I know you were assistant there, then Montgomery Village Golf Club and Chevy Chase Club. And then I think you headed down to Florida um, for your first head pro position with Jerry Hurd, of course, who was a tour player um, uh, years ago. And um, then back up to Pennsylvania, Hidden Valley Resort. And Lakewood Country Club in Rockville were all your stops before before Columbia, which we'll obviously talk about. But as you look back on these various positions, the various assistant positions, the head pro positions before you, you know, came to Columbia, as you kind of look back, Bob, what do you sort of feel like you learned from those experiences that that helped you, you know, in your in your career as a head golf pro? Well, I had a good, I worked for a lot of good people. Uh, Luther Showaker was my boss at both the driving range and leisure world. And he was a good player and he always encouraged me to play. I worked for Jack Dozier. He had just purchased Montgomery village golf club. I grew up at the course. Yeah. Jack had just purchased the course. He wanted to uh, have somebody on staff that knew a lot of the members. I was a logical choice for that, but you know, watching Jack, who was quite the entrepreneur, um, you know, a, bit, a little different pressure when you own a golf course compared to just working at one. Right. And then, uh, and then I thought the other thing that was really cool was, uh, was, uh, you know, having the chance to go work for a tour player. Jerry Hurd yeah. was a director of golf and, and touring professional at uh, South Seas. You know, he had some injuries from being struck by lightning. Right. Right. Well, he, he was on a tour, but he had still won five times and he was uh, a great player. And that experience really shaped me um, in a positive way because I got to see firsthand how good good really is. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, every time I got a little big for myself or full of myself, <laughs> he'd take me out and uh, I got to watch him play golf and 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 because of that you know uh, because of his presence at the resort um i got to also watch a lot of other great 
touring professionals in that era. Right. Gary hosted a pro-am every year. And, and uh, you know, they those guys were just better. And, you know, when you're my age, I was in my early 20s at the time, thought that I was a pretty good player. And um, and so that 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 helped me. I don't want to say it discouraged me. I was encouraged that I could improve. Um, and then, you know, I, my wife and I had a couple of kids and, uh, you know, m- focusing my attention on being a club professional instead of a professional golfer um, became my goal and aspiration. Right, right. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned Jerry Hurd. I was just I I listening to you talk about him. Um, I mean, he was, if I'm remembering right, he was with Trevino at Butler at Western Open when they all got hit by lightning. Right? I think he was in that group. That's when the lightning injury happened. If I'm remembering right, you remember correctly. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, and yeah, up he until was... then, you know, Jerry had won four tournaments on tour, and he only won one after. Right. Um, and it just had some, you know, some injuries and, and just never got back to the level that, that he was accustomed to. So when South Seas opened up, he jumped at the opportunity and, and, um, we had a mutual friend who contacted me and, and, uh, I went down there and, and, uh, and, you know, it was great. It was great for me to learn from him and, uh, you know, we're still close friends today. In fact, I just saw him last week and, and uh, it's just one of my great experiences professionally. Yeah, that's, that sounds great. Um, I'm, I'm sure. And, and he was a phenomenal player before the injury. I do remember that. Um, so just kind of continuing on the timeline to leading up to Columbia, you're, you come, uh, you go to Pennsylvania, I know helped sort of get that golf program off the ground at Hidden Valley Resort then you're at Lakewood Country Club in Rockville for a few years. Now we're into the early 90s um, before um, the head pro position um, opens at Columbia. And and just for our listeners' benefit who may not be familiar with Columbia Country Club, I mean, just it's got an incredible history. And one of the things I think is most amazing about it is um, when you take over in, I guess, what, 95 you're only the third head pro in the club's long history, which I think was originally found in 1898 in the current course. I think it's back to 1911, but in particular, not just you're only the third head pro, but the two guys preceding you are, are legends. Fred uh, McLeod, uh, McLeod, who of course, you know, 1908 U S open champion. It might be a hunt club, another club with a long history outside Boston I remember him from being, you know, when I was young, being the honorary starter with Jock Hutchinson at the Masters for many years, up into his 90s. Um, and and then, of course, Bill Strasbaum, you know, is famous uh, for, uh, you know, obviously the award that's named after him for mentorship. So um, I'm just curious, this, uh, both how this opportunity for Columbia came to you and, and, and what was it like feeling like, gosh, I've got pretty big shoes to fill here? Uh, yeah, well, Mr. Strasbaugh announced his retirement in uh, 94. They started the process. I was uh, fortunate enough to get my name put on a list of candidates. Um, went through an extensive interview process, and fortunately for me, uh, got the great news uh, in the latter part of October 94, and uh took the reins in 95 and, and, um, you know, Mr. Strasbaugh made the transition relatively easy because, uh, he was so welcoming and, and, uh, guided me through, uh, through the, not only through the, uh, you know, my first few months, but my first few years, it was great to have him there as a pro emeritus. Um, because like I like to say, he knew where all the bombs are buried at the club and <laughs> knew how to uh, navigate the, uh, you know, the choppy waters and, and would give me advice and counsel uh, along the way. And, and um, it was great. So I never really felt like I was there to fill his shoes. I didn't think that I was capable of filling his shoes. I mean, the man's... Uh, 
on the Mount Rushmore of club professionals. For sure. And um, I never felt like uh, I felt that it was important to create my own identity. Um, yeah. Mr. McLeod was a world-class player, as we all know. Mr. Strasbaugh was a great teacher, great communicator, great mentor. And so I had to kind of find my thing that, that uh, I was going to hang my hat on. Um, so I just, you know, I taught my share of golf. I uh, did the administrative responsibilities to the best of my ability. But the thing that I think I did um, that helped me was, you know, I played a lot of golf with the members. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, that's the thing that I – Miss the most now, but, uh, but, uh, you know, I shared my golf, my love of the game with them. And, um, it was a good partnership for 28 years. So really good. Yeah. And let's maybe talk a little more about that. So, cause I've seen you talk about your, you know, obviously incredible 28 years as head pro Columbia and, and the importance of variety in you know you talk about what we teach we play we administrate and maybe you can just chat a little about that and and kind of your thoughts um because yeah. obviously you've had such a successful career on the importance that variety plays in your view and having a, a long and successful career as a head pro yeah i, I don't like to be one-dimensional right so uh i think if all i was doing was teaching um, it would get old fast if all I was doing was administration. You know, I don't think I'd enjoy that at all. Um, and then I think that, uh, you know, I never wanted to be away from the club too much. So sometimes when you're a tournament player, it it's, uh, it can be a little demanding. Columbia is a busy place. So, you know, you miss a right. day, you feel like you missed a lot. Um, I always liked it. You know, I like the pact about being a merchant. I don't consider myself a very good one, but I, I enjoyed meeting with the reps and trying to figure out a better way. Um, and, and for that reason, you know, I would have something different to do every day and something to do differently every, every, uh, Every week, every month, I had a had a goal. You know, uh, when I was helping run the USGA Championships, those were great years because it kept me, you know, kept me fresh and it kept me uh, right. engaged. And and right. and I think that uh, I don't think I would have been uh, capable of of uh, being, you know just one thing I, I i wanted to wear all the hats so to speak and and uh wanted to to be as good as i could in each one of those categories and and uh that advice i actually got from mr strasbaugh because uh you know funny story is i asked him after my first year what i could improve upon and his response was was uh he said he had only seen me three places he either saw me on the practice tee teaching the members he saw me on the golf course playing with the members or he saw me standing on the porch promoting the upcoming events in the game of golf. Mm -hmm. And he encouraged me to do those three things to the best of my ability. And if I did so, I'd have a, uh, a good, a long career. And, uh, you know, he turned out to be right. So he sure did. <laughs> I love that. Um, and speaking of Mr. Strasbaugh and just kind of the culture of the club, I know I've seen, you know, folks talk about the warm Columbia welcome, which seems like an important part of the club culture at Columbia. And I know, among many things, that Mr. Strasbaugh was kind of legendary at remembering names. But maybe you can just tell our listeners kind of what what's uh, what's the warm Columbia welcome and 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 the role that plays at the club and and how you sort of carried that tradition forward. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the role of the head professional at Columbia is to create a positive atmosphere um, and a welcoming one. So when we have members that bring out guests, 
you know, we want to make sure that uh, that their day is a success. And and uh, when members come out to play in tournaments, you know, we want to make sure that uh, we run the tournament to the best of our ability so that uh, they get some value and, and that they uh, are happy that they spent the day with us. And I think that's, you know, the warm Columbia welcome. We're happy you're here. Um, we want to try to facilitate your day as best we can and, um, let us know what we can do to make things better. I think that's, uh, you know, that's, that's the spirit of the warm Columbia welcome. We, we Columbia is a special place. I mean, not only has it got a great golf course, uh, but the membership is just, you know, they 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 live the warm Columbia welcome every day. If you're a stranger yeah. and you walk into the Columbia grill room and you look like you're lost, it won't take but a minute for somebody to walk up to you and introduce themselves to you and ask you about yourself and how they can help you. And and uh, and that's that's the kind of place that's been and and what the kind of place it was for me and and whatever I could do to uphold that tradition. I felt that was my role. Yeah, that's wonderful. And and um, it definitely has that reputation, to be sure. Um, you know, before we get into some of the particulars, I want to talk with you a little about teaching, just kind of maybe generally as you, as you look back now on your 28 years at Columbia, which is, again, such a tremendous run, um, is there any one particular thing you're most proud of that you feel like you you either accomplished or moved forward in your time there as you look back? Uh, well, I would say that uh, we had a nice junior golf program, but the thing that I was most proud of of that junior golf program is how many legacy members we have. Mm -hmm. Kids that started in the junior program and developed the love of the game and uh, loved it so much when they graduated from college and started their professional careers, they chose Columbia to be the place that they would join and, and, and play their golf. And for me, uh, you know, I think that really, uh, I was pleased with that because, uh, I think it shows that, uh, we wanted to uh, introduce them to the game and, and hopefully they developed the love of it. And uh, whether they became a scratch player or not, it's just nice to see these kids coming back and, and, and choosing Columbia, um, the, the ones that stay in town. And, and, uh, and it just keeps that spirit of that membership and that warm Columbia welcome alive and well. Yeah, that's great. Um, and that make that makes perfect sense. Uh, you know, just talking a little bit about teaching uh, that aspect of, of your career. Um, I know, you know, you've had so many students. I mean, one that recently comes to mind just for his success on tour courses, Denny McCarthy, um, who, uh, you know, just almost won the Memorial last year, probably the best putter on tour. Um, but you've coached a lot of people um, and taught the game uh, over the years at Columbia. I've, I've heard you say, if I'm remembering this right, that the game is, and, I, and I'm kind of intrigued by this statement, the game is overtaught and undercoached. Um, can you maybe explain kind of your thinking on that? Because I think it's very interesting. Yeah, so, you know, in order to be the best player or shoot the lowest score, it's not always about having the prettiest swing. Right. Um, and I think in today's day and age where we have so much technology at our fingertips, um, it's easy to lose track of the fact that uh, the player needs self-confidence. The player needs touch and feel. The player needs to be playing with the right equipment. The player needs to be... Uh, strategically very sound um those are the components that go into being a being a great player and when they hand that trophy out on sunday on a pga tour 
it's not always the guy that's uh, had the best track man numbers. Um, <laughs> it, there's intangibles. I mean, if you watch the tour, the winner the last Sunday, um, you know, he didn't play the last round with the best of golf, but he got the ball up and down when he had to. And, um, you know, survived, survived the pressure of the last round and, and got to hoist the trophy at the end. So there's a lot more, there's a lot of components involved. Right. Um, right. And I think that too often, um, it's easy to, it's easy to over teach and give the, and give the student way too much information mm -hmm. before they really have a chance to, I've always felt like, you know, I was more of a teaspoon person than a tablespoon person. Right. <laughs> I wanted to give a little, a little, a little tidbit of information and give the player an opportunity to explore that information. And then, and then once I felt comfortable that they were ready to move on, I give another teaspoon and then those are the building blocks. That's right. easy to do when you're the golf professional at the same place for 28 years. Right. Um, right. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so, so my guys weren't stopping, stopping by for a quick fix. You know, they were, I had a chance to develop them over their, their golfing career. And, and, uh, and anyway, those are the little things that I learned from the great players that I got to hang around with when, you know, and I was working for Jerry, uh, um, I listened to him, you know, I got to watch Ray Floyd chip balls and, and, and right. Johnny Miller hit irons and, and, uh, Jerry Hurd hit bunker shots, you know, and, and, um, when I had, when they, they never had a lot of technical thoughts, right. Um, right. They just managed to get it done. So I think that that, hopefully that, that, uh, is a pretty good synopsis of what I mean when I say the game is overtaught and undercoached. That's super. Uh, that is very helpful. Um, I'm just kind of going with that for a minute. I know I'm curious for your own students um, is part of the coaching um, part of it. That's, you know, as you say, we're undercoached. I mean, would you kind of sit down with them and, you know, particularly ones that were tournament players and kind of talk about like, gee, this is, let's talk about your strategy that you did in this last tournament round and kind of, you know, in other words, non-swing, non-mechanical aspects. Um, was that part of, I assume that was part of your teaching as well as to talk to them just about the strategy of, of how to score. Yeah, I think that scoring is, uh, you know, I wasn't as good at it in the early part of my career as it probably should have been. Um, I did develop. I do have a couple little games that I enjoy playing with students, uh, Denny and I would call it short game arama. Um, <laughs> short game arama is really, you know, you get three shots, three balls, and the whole objective is to get the ball, pick a pitch shot, chip shot, and you're allowed six shots to get those three golf balls in the cup because that's yep. training you how to get the ball up and in. Right. Um, and then you really can't move off to the next location until you fulfill that goal. And then the other one that we worked hard on, and uh, I know that uh, towards the latter part with the juniors is we encourage them to go out and play the green tees, the, which is the most forward set, and the black mm -hmm. tee. Uh, green tees on the way out, um, black tees on the way in. Mm. And what that trained people to do was, uh, you know, they get a few under par, and then they had to go all the way back and play the last nine holes. And it teaches them how to get under par and then keep it there. Interesting. And then they uh, go out and teach them how to play the black tees on the way out. Um, and they may get a couple over and then play the green tees on the way in and teach them how to fight back. Um, and those are little tricks that you learn to help people learn how to score. Um, and uh, I think that they proved to be very helpful because when you think about the road to the PGA Tour, you got to get through the uh, 
corn ferry, right? Um, right, right. So if you're uncomfortable shooting 20 under every week, you're going to have some problems, right? So, uh, and that's, again, I get that from the, the ones that have done it. I think that if Denny McCarthy were were on, he'd tell you that it was a blessing to grow up at Argyle Country Club because, uh, you know, you you're can shoot low scores out there. And yep. uh, he got comfortable doing it. Um, and and uh, your mind doesn't know whether you're playing uh, Riviera, Pebble Beach, or Argyle. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you think about he shot 64 twice last year and once at Riviera and once at Pebble. Right. <laughs> you know, that's pretty darn good. It it sure is, and, I, and that's really a great. I, I I have not heard of that sort of game, that drill to go, you know, the up tees and the back tees, but it makes great sense because you're so right. I think you talk to people who compete at that level, and and you really have to be comfortable, not just getting to under par, but being under par, because a lot of people change their game when you know all of a sudden, oh, I'm four under, I need to protect or whatever, and. That's a really great way to do it. I, I love that. Very clever. Um, you know, speaking of sort of great members at Columbia, great golfers, um, I, I I did want to mention um, Marty West because uh, I'm someone, I grew up in Connecticut, and of course, Dick Sidoroff was, you know, the guy who we always viewed as, you know, uh, one of those great golfers who just never turned pro, and, but was a great amateur. And you know, down in your neck of the woods, Vinnie Giles comes to mind. Out here, Stu Hagestad, who we've had on the uh, podcast, comes to mind. And Marty West is certainly in that group. Um, you know, great, you know, college career, great amateur career, just won just about everything, um, but never turned pro. Um, just sort of curious um, what it was like for you to have a front row seat watching him, because um, he really was a special player. Yeah, it was really great. And you want to talk about how we got the young kids to think about strategy? Yeah. Is we would encourage uh, the juniors to, uh, if they were caddying in the summer, make sure they got on Marty's back. Mm. Um, because they learn a few things about course management. I mean, um, talk about a specialist when it comes to strategy mm -hmm. um and we also have a tournament that we use at columbia we call it the pro scratch junior mm -hmm. and uh, we get the great amateur players like marty to play with an assistant pro and two of the juniors um and you know what a learning experience for these kids because they're out there and and he's coaching them up and and uh and just by watching, you know, all you have to do is watch him. We watch the way he prepares for tournaments. That was the thing that I got the most out of it. Mm -hmm. um, you could always tell when Marty was getting ready to play in a tournament. There was a pattern. You know, they talk about the process on the tour. Right. Constantly. Um, and sure enough, you know, you'd come in on Tuesday morning and Marty be on that putting green hitting a few putts. <laughs> then you'd look up on Wednesday night and, uh, or you'd look up on Tuesday night and Marty be on the drive range after work. Then Wednesday he might go walk nine holes and, and then, uh, you know, Thursday, a little more practice in the morning, maybe a little practice at night. And then Friday may afternoon, maybe play. And then, you know, you knew he was off to something. Um, right. Because, uh, he would, he was, always very prepared and always had a um a sound strategy when he competed and mm -hmm. and it was just a pleasure to watch him yeah i bet i mean that was and and that is so important to you know playing high level tournament golf um that's great um uh, you know just on the topic i guess of high level tournament golf of course columbia's hosted you, you, uh, a couple of Notable USGA tournaments, um, and you mentioned the USGA. Um, I think you were there uh, during your time for both the 2003 U.S. Junior, which uh, current Open champion Brian Harmon won, 
and then the 2021 U.S. Girls Junior, um, which I'm, I'm guessing USA picked that year because that was the 100th anniversary of the U.S. Open being there in, in uh, 1921. Uh, but uh, that was, of course, won by Rose Zhang, who I think, if I'm remembering right, shot 62, uh, which may still be the competitive course record. But I'm just sort of curious, you being the head pro, what's it like to sort of host those types of, you know, significant USGA events and, 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 you know, working with the USGA when they come to town to get the course ready for, for those events and to actually have them occur. What, what was those like for you? Well, for me, it was an honor to be involved. Um, I appreciate the club, uh, giving us all the opportunity to host those events you learn an awful lot from the USGA and, and when the people are on the grounds and the staffs on the grounds and the importance of, uh, you know, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's, uh, they do a really great job. And, yeah. and the spirit of the competition, especially when you're hosting junior events is, uh, you know, the kids are so grateful to be playing a golf course of that caliber. Right. Uh, and their gratitude shows um, in the way they conduct themselves and their enthusiasm for the game. It's uh, it's very refreshing. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I bet. Um, and, yeah, and I totally agree with you. We've had, obviously, we had the U.S. Open at LACC, but even beyond that, the, the USGA is going to be in our neck of the woods here in Southern California a fair amount the next couple of years. They were, in addition to the U.S. Open, they were, the U.S. Women's Amateur was at Bel Air, um, which I particularly enjoyed. Um, it's a lot <laughs> a lot easier to get around uh, U.S. Women's Amateur in terms of the crowds than the, than the men's U.S. Open, but um, they're coming back for the U.S. Girls Junior at El Cab next year. Um, Riviera is going to have the U.S. Women's Open. So in 2026, the Men's U.S. Open in 2031. So there will be in our neck of the woods a lot. And I, I totally agree with you. They really do a great job in terms of um, hosting first-class championships, not just the big ones, but you know the junior ones in particular, I think are really neat. I agree with you. Yeah, um, we're lucky. We had, uh, we've got the 27 Senior Women's Am. Oh, cool. And the 35 senior men's am. Nice. So uh, I'm looking forward to being involved in those uh, in whatever volunteer capacity they need. Um, because, uh, you know, it's great for the game. It's just great for the game and it's great for the club. I mean, any time in our region, Washington Metropolitan, um, you know, Congressional, right, Woodmont, Columbia, Whenever there's something going on, um, Robert Trent Jones uh, with the Solheim right. coming up, you know, it's right. just so right. great for the community. And now Baltimore Country Club, uh, um, you know, anytime you have clubs in the region hosting events, it's just healthy and it's and it's great for the community and great for the game. Totally agree. Um, and, um, I want to sort of turn a little bit to the PGA and, and both at the section and national level, because you've been so involved in that over the years, um, you know, won just uh, so many different awards. Um, but besides just the awards, your service to the game and, and maybe just starting with the Middle Atlantic um, section, which is obviously a, a pretty notable section in the PGA, um, you know, you held just about every office in the section. I know you were ultimately president for a couple of years, got inducted in the Hall of Fame um, last year, following the footsteps of your two predecessors at Columbia, um, so keeping that tradition alive. Uh, just maybe tell our listeners kind of why, for someone in your position, service at the section level was important to you and, and kind of what you viewed as your most significant um, accomplishments in, in your various positions in the section over the years? Well, let's see. I think uh, I was fortunate because I was the third pro at a facility that had the first two pros serve as president of the section. Right. So the history and the tradition of the 
golf professional being involved um, in the game locally was uh, already there. Um, and I felt it was my responsibility to keep it going. Um, I enjoyed working with the section. Um, I had an opportunity to work with some great PGA leaders during that time. I mean, the Mid-Atlantic got three past presidents of this PGA of America, Max Elvin, Bill Clark, Alan Ronowski. So being around those fellas um, was quite the learning experience to just rub elbows with them and watch their passion for the game and their passion for the, for the profession. And then of course, you know, uh, when you're standing next to Mr. Strasbaugh, at least for the first three or four years of his career, and there's a national award named after him, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't want to say that it came with the territory, but, uh, I also, I, I felt, um, that it was, uh, my it was my responsibility to hopefully continue that tradition and i think as far as accomplishments are concerned uh i was uh, pretty fortunate to be involved with the great junior golf director at the time his name was nate burdick and we created the mid-atlantic junior tour um mm -hmm. he actually did all the heavy lifting but uh but uh you know i helped helped uh politically i guess to, to pave the way for it and and um now that tour is expanded and and uh it was really to give kids an opportunity that weren't quite ready to go compete in ajga or national events and and give them something locally to kind of learn how to compete and play tournament golf and it's proved to be very successful that's great and and actually as i'm listening to you thinking about local stuff you were involved with First Tee, right, of Greater Washington as well? Yeah, I was the first – I was on the original board of the First Tee. Uh, the First Tee was just starting, and Tim Fincham and, um, you know, they uh, tapped on the shoulder of a nice man named Dan Tate, who was actually a lobbyist for the PGA Tour. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Tate gathered us, and at that time, you know, you needed to have a PGA professional on your committee or board. I think that still exists. So I, Mr. Tate is a member at Columbia. So obviously he chose me and, and, um, it was just fantastic. Now we didn't know what we were doing and we didn't know how we were going to get it done. And to watch the growth that the first tee of greater Washington has, has had, um, it's really been kind of, it's been fun to watch. I bet. That's great. Um, and and let me just touch also on kind of the PGA of America, you know, at the national level. Um, I know you won the 2000 National Youth Player Development Award. Uh, but then, you know, you sort of one of the few PGA pros to have won multiple national awards when you won the, two, as you were alluding to before, the 2011 Bill Strasbaugh Award, which, of course, named after your predecessor, awarded for excellence in mentorship. Um, we've had a number of people on actually interesting have won that I think you know, Jim Smith Jr., Larry Dornish, David Reisner, Mike Harmon. So I think you may be our fifth winner of that award. It's a super prestigious award. What was that like for you? I mean, it had to be even more special than for others because it's named for your predecessor, right? That must have been a really cool moment for you. Uh, yes, it was very cool. And, uh, you know, like all the guys you mentioned, um, Mr. Strasbaugh, just the way that I've told, I think, a couple of those fellas that you mentioned, you know, he referred to it as uh, an effort award. Um, and the way that he described it was, uh, if you win that award, then you put in the effort in your section to make things better for your fellow professional. And... Um, having heard him say that several times, uh, you know, that hit home to me and, and, um, and, and just reiterated the importance of doing your part. Um, you know, being a golf professional in today's day and age, it's not an easy job. Um, and yeah. I think that, uh, 
some of the times we lose the fraternal aspect of the profession and there's not enough uh, coaching and counseling on how to uh, navigate through the, the, you know, the choppy water. And um, that's what Mr. Strasbaugh did. Um, I think in, in his uh, tribute video, when he passed, uh, Dennis Satisher said it, um, you know, when you were down on your confidence or, you know, feeling kind of down on yourself, you know, Strasbaugh always had the, uh, the, uh, special knack to fill the cup back up with confidence and send you on your way. And, and, and I think that, uh, you know, when I think of David Reisner and, and Larry Dornish, uh, and Jim Smith Jr., um, uh, you know, those guys have that same, same, uh, quality. And I think that it's, it's important. It's important, uh, in today's day and age for sure. It, it sure is. And, um, I actually maybe want to just keep going on that theme a little bit, um, and maybe get you out of here on, on this topic, which I know is a big topic, but I'm, you know, you're so well situated to address it. And that's kind of, as we look ahead, um, kind of, how you see uh, the life of the club pro kind of uh, where it sits now and, and what kind of needs to be done. I've, I, I'm sure you saw, it's probably almost two years ago now, that Golf Digest article, which got a lot of play, um, which painted, I think it's fair to say, kind of a negative, dark picture of the life of the club pro. Um, but um, maybe just if you could maybe address that. And I'm, I know you have some thoughts on kind of maybe what, what the profession needs to be done to sort of um, kind of steer it in maybe a, a better and more positive direction going forward. Cause at least, and at least that article, you know, from a few years ago, as I say, painted um, not the greatest picture. Yeah, it wasn't the best picture. And I think that, um, you know, the interpretation of that article um were people from my generation, perhaps, uh, I think we understood a lot of the issues that were brought up, mm -hmm. but I think the solutions lie in, in what's important for the next generation. Cause that's the future. Right. Right. Um, Absolutely. and I think that, that the game itself, uh, you know, I think you're, you're, uh, you can't, you gotta be able to reinvent the model. And I think that uh, the clubs need to take a good look, hard look at it. And um, the PGA needs to be involved in that process. I mean, that's the spirit of club relations, really. That's the spirit of the Strasbaugh Award. Um, it's about mentoring people, but it's also about club relations. You know, um, how do we provide uh, an opportunity that's a win-win? You know, how do you get uh, a situation for your club professional where – they're going to want to be around and be around a long time. And, and um, what are we going to do as a club to make sure that we're as welcoming and, and uh, as sensitive to, to the issues that exist for this next generation? I think it's important. Yeah. And, and um, I, I know you've talked about, and obviously you have an off season being in DC, the, you know, importance of getting the chance to recharge your batteries, right? Cause it's a, it's a demanding job during the season. Yeah. I think what happens is we were having this discussion on the practice seat just the other day. Um, you know, with simulators and the indoor outdoor ranges. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. Now, now all of a sudden, the season is extended global warming the sea i mean it's going to be 60 degrees next week in maryland mm. so they'll have 120 players you know um so that that years ago that didn't happen as often as it does now right um and and the simulator and and indoor outdoor driving ranges or learning centers at clubs is uh you know it's just now all of a sudden the season is 12 months in the northeast as opposed to just 
eight or nine or ten and and uh when does the pro get a chance to go recharge their batteries right um you know uh, i think that that's uh part of the those are that's the list of questions i mean i thought the article pretty much explained some of that you know uh the hours the weekends the, the holidays uh it's tough to miss all of them oh <laughs> that's for sure um, you know, it may be clubs need to hire more assistants, you know, just to get a little, you know, spread the work a little, it's, it's a challenge, but, um, you know, I, um, uh, I, I think it's important to get it addressed and I'm sure, you know, I know that you guys, the PGA generally chats about this stuff and tries to think about best practices. And as you say, it's about, it's about club relations and sharing the knowledge as well. Right. Yeah. I think the biggest thing now is, uh, you know, living, it's expensive. You come to DC, you come out to your area, you know, it's, 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 yeah, it is. It's expensive. Right. And I, I again, I, I always say this. I mean, I was, I never really understood this. I never really understood the issues as well as I perhaps should have. Um, the only guideline that I use is, you know, this is the way I did it. Right. Um, and then I would expect you to do it my way. Uh, when my children became the same age as my assistants, you know, I then had a better understanding of what these kids were going through. All right. Because right. good point. Yeah. Uh, they were, they were struggling. And, and I think that that's the age group and the, and the people that we need to, we need to, uh, we need to listen to right I and mean, too often yeah. when you go to any pga meeting you know it's, it's uh we need to get these kids engaged and they need to outline what this what this what the the problems are so that we can go to our club leadership and and start to work out some of these problems because the columbia that steve delmar is going to be running is different than the one that i did and the one that i ran is different than the one that mr strasbaugh did and the one that mr strasbaugh Ran was different than the one that Fred McLeod ran. So, so uh, each club has to tackle these things uh, because at the end of the day, if you have happy people and you have people that want to be there, then it's only going to enhance the experience and, and, and make, like we said earlier, it just makes that warm Columbia welcome even better. Absolutely. That's super well said. And I completely agree with you. Um, Bob, I really appreciate you know, you taking the time. I should also mention before I let you go that I have, you know, talking about honors, PGA of America Hall of Fame last year. That's about as high as it gets. Uh, you're on the stage there with Jim Nance, Kathy Whitworth, of course, posthumously, and, and and some of your other fellow PGA pros. Great honor. I should congratulate you on that. That that must have been really cool to sort of get that honor, right? Yeah, that was really cool. And that really... Uh again, made it extra special because Mr. Mack and, and Mr. Strasbaugh are also in that hall of fame. So joining them was, uh, not only great for me, um, but great for Columbia country club. And, uh, I was really pleased with the way the members embraced, embraced, the embraced the process and the opportunity and, and, uh, forever grateful to the PGA and Columbia country club. Well, congratulations on just a stellar career. And, um, you know, I wish you uh, all the best going forward. And again, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me.